90% of your life. It was a good time with the ladies. It was a good time with the men. And we hope that both the ladies and the men have brought something new to their walk in the Lord this morning. Not only today, but until we meet God. This morning, why don't we give our Pastor Nathan a warm CCF welcome. Uh, let me just encourage you to continue to pray for what the Lord is starting to do through um, the whole idea of the CCF movement. Um, just in the last two uh, two weeks, but uh, well, I talked to you last Sunday, but just this week I got contacted by a group in Houston that want to start CCF. Uh, a group, uh, another group in Canada, which makes now two to three groups, uh, both on east and west coast. Uh, a, a group in Sydney, Australia, and uh, and uh, some groups in Europe. So right now we're looking at possibly God helping us set up in nine to ten other countries besides the Philippines. So I just want to encourage you because you guys. Again, let's remember we're not trying to plant international Filipino churches. Okay, we're really not. That's why we didn't call it that. We know that the core of our beginning is going to be Filipino because that's where we're coming from. We're coming out of Manila. We're coming from being trained in CCF and its DNA. So that's a good thing. But um, but we want to make sure that as we see the churches grow that it becomes infectious among all ethnic groups in the area. Whether they come to that church or not is not important. Uh, I, I pray that your church will have an impact on many of the other good Bible churches in this area to really emphasize uh, discipleship multiplication. So I just want to encourage you on that. Because, guys, and you need to know this, because this guy does it, so does Insong. When I first got here and Insong wasn't here, Danny was over here. Insong was still in Manila. And I was coming off my home ministry. And uh, Danny and Edwin and a few of the guys that were in that area, and that was in Alhambra at that time, um, they said, we really want to see if we can start a church. And I made it real clear. If you're just going to set up another church like a church in America, I'm not interested. Because we got way too many churches on every corner. Okay, so I'm not interested in seeing something that's only a Sunday morning only. Um, and Danny was real emphatic. He said, no, we're talking about the DNA of CCF, which is multiple, uh, a multiplication of discipleship. So I just want to encourage you, because that's what we're doing here. Now, today, the message title is Living in a House Does Not Make It a Home. We've been talking about intimacy. And when you hear me say something like that, living in a house does not make it a home, what does that make you think of? And the way I'd like to start this is I'd like you to just quiet yourself. I put together a little movie to just try and challenge you on what do you think of when you consider Jesus Christ? What, what are your thoughts? So, Father, we just want to ask you right now that you speak to our hearts and that uh, we will meditatively contemplate our view of you. 
walked into the room. If you still the crowd, if you like this bell, and if I saw you touch your forehead. society in that day was that each person's works 
were, were what would win favor with God. That's what Judaism had become, had become by then. Now I'm not saying his parents would have raised him that way, but his peers and his friends would have been being raised teaching that your own works save you. And um, the problem with that is, more times than not, it turns out that people become very arrogant and proud. Now, this young man most likely was like the rest of his friends, except that he had a unique problem that many of his friends did not have. His oldest brother was really hard to live with. Okay? His oldest brother always obeyed mom and dad immediately. He never would speak back or rebuke his parents. He did all of his chores without complaining. He wouldn't sneak out with his other brothers at night to meet girls because that was not honoring to mom and dad. He even would try and stop them if they, for instance, were going to play a practical joke by setting their neighbor's cow's tail on fire. He would have said, no, that would not be nice. And even when they would try and pick a fight with him, his oldest brother would turn his other cheek. He was perfect. And it made his brothers sick. Now, he grew up as an average Jewish kid, but his brother, the perfect one, became famous. He started to follow him, Many people were listening to him. All kinds of things were being said about him. And um, I'm sad to say that this guy and his other brothers became resentful of Jesus. We'll make sure. <laughs> Let's wait and see. Is everybody okay? Yeah, I think it was either a door or a table. Anyway, let's just take a moment and let's just commit that to the Lord just in case. Father, we do pray that if anything's happened that we can take care of it right now because uh, that's more important than than um, just going on with everything. But uh, we do pray that if it's nothing major that we can get back and uh, get our minds back to you. Just commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody okay? Okay. Okay, nobody heard. Okay. Some little kid did that? Let me know because I'll go, you know, you interrupt my message. <laughs> now, now I'll help mom and dad get him to obey, you know. <laughs> if you want to go ahead and turn, if you have your Bibles, the second smallest book in the Bible, it is the second to the last book in the Bible. It's the book of Jude. A lot of people don't know this, but Jude was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Okay? He and James, who wrote the book of James, had the same mother as Jesus. Mary. Now I want you to think about this. Because we've been talking about intimacy. Okay? How close was Jude to Jesus? He grew up in the same house as Jesus did.
Matthew 13.55 says this. We'll, we'll get to Jude. Just, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Again in Mark, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Now again, I know the spelling isn't always the same. It doesn't matter because names are spelled differently. Same name. But we know that this Judas was Jew. The half-brother of Jesus Christ. And the sad part is, is not only did Jude not connect to Christ, even though he was living in the same house, probably sleeping in the same bedroom as his brothers were. Okay, they didn't have big mansions. So there was lots of kids in small rooms. And even though they never connected, it got even worse that it seems that his brothers became antagonistic about who Jesus was. Let me show you a verse. John chapter 7. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing him. Now, again, God's grace is so incredible. We know from other scriptures that his brothers came to know Christ for who he was after the resurrection. Acts chapter 1 verse 14 These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Okay? Now, the reason I want to bring this to our attention is because you all are investing a Sunday morning here. There's a lot of people out there that think we're wasting our time. You know, they're going to the beach, going hiking, and they're going, you know, why are you coming here? And for me, the sad part is there are millions of people that do this in many countries throughout the world every Sunday, and yet some of them are no closer to Jesus Christ than Jude was. And that's why I want to warn you. Just because you come to a house of worship and sing songs and feel good about it does not mean you have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want us to take a look inside today. And what we're going to do is we're going to be able to see a tremendous, I mean, huge change in this man known as Jude. See, when you're so close... To God. That's what I'm saying. In the same intimate. They do mean the same thing, but I'm playing with the word here. In other words, when you put yourself into proximity with God, you spend time in the Word. You sing songs about Him. You even thank Him for your food before you eat. But you never really make connection. What you created is religiosity in your life. And, and that can be very deadly. 
Now, let me describe some of the words that we use. Okay? Uh, we would have said that uh, that uh, Jude was close to Jesus. I mean, he grew up in the same home. So he's close. Okay? This is what it means. Being near in space or time. Being near in relationship. Close relatives. Uh, in today's vernacular, we could say that, you know, uh, Jude hung around Jesus. Right? Okay? Around means in the immediate vicinity. It means near. Well, let's look at the word near. Okay? Because Jude was definitely near Jesus. To, at, or within a short distance of space and time. Close in time, space, position, degree. Closely related by kinsmanship or association. A near relative. Now here's the point. All these words really are based on proximity, not connection. And connection is the key. If you remember, and I know you won't because I preached it six months ago when I was here sometime in May, the definition for intimate is this. Essential. Marked by very close association. Belonging to or characterizing one's deepest nature. Marked by a warm friendship developing through long association. It's very possible to be close but not to be intimate. Now, we don't know when it happened. I mean, I've, I've tried to think this one through. Uh, we find Jude and his brothers taunting Jesus in John 7. You know, you're doing all these miracles. You're this big Messiah. Go on up to the feast. Don't hide what you're doing. Go show everybody what you're doing. Okay? Um, I wonder how he felt as he started to see this fake trial take place. Then he starts to hear that his brother has been scourged and beaten. I wonder if Jude was at the crucifixion. We know Mary was. I wonder if he was there. I wonder what he felt after his half-brother had died. So I, I don't know where the seeds took place that started to cook the way that Christ wanted them to, but they did take place. And after the resurrection, we find them worshiping in the book of Acts. So sometime between the time that Christ was taken captive by the Romans and the time that he came out of the tomb, or if not very shortly after the resurrection, his brothers started to become believers. The greatest evidence to me, of intimacy is understanding. Okay? And that's why I chose this little book to talk to you. There's all kind. Now, this is Nathan, chapter 1, verse 1. So this is not inspired. Okay? Let's get that. I believe the greatest evidence in a person's life of their intimate relationship with Christ is understanding. See, that's why when I see these false teachers on TV, Health, wealth, and prosperity guys, they read a lot of Bible. They don't understand at all what it's saying. Which shows me that they're not really intimate with God. They're using them. 
to get their multi-million dollar house. That's how come I can see people who have dedicated their entire life to celibacy and serving the quote-unquote institutionalized church, and yet what they espouse is completely wrong biblically. I don't think they're evil and out there trying to hurt people. I think they just don't get it. Why? Because there's no connection. See, folks, I want to tell you honestly, I really believe this. Not only when you come to know Christ does your sin life change, but your error life changes also. The Holy Spirit of God not only indwells you to help you have the power to overcome the strife against the flesh, He also indwells you to fill your mind and illuminate it with the truth of the Word of God. And so when I hear a teacher just espousing error after error after error, even if he's very charismatic in his delivery and sounds really good and can even make you laugh, I very much suspect, I go, I wonder if he's really connected to Christ. You know, I've looked at some of my, I I got sermons in this computer that go back to 1978, before computers like this existed. I've typed them in for my papers. And I read them, and I read some of my journals that I've been journaling since 1976. And sometimes some of the things I wrote are borderline heresy. Okay, on whoa. And it, the only reason is, is because I was very, very young in the Lord. But as I grew in my connection with Him, the Holy Spirit took care of those errors. So this is going to be a little bit of time, because I want to give you that. We're not going to be able to go verse by verse by verse through this whole book in the time we have. But I want you to have the whole book first. And then we're going to take it apart and show you, show you how clearly when salvation took hold in Jude's life, the understanding that came to him is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Before I read God's word, let me commit the time again to the author. Father, I know we've already prayed, we've dedicated this time to you, but Holy Spirit of God, we know that you are the illuminator, that you open our eyes to the word of God. And I'm going to pray right now that you will find fertile soil in our heart, that you'll be able to plant your word, and then it will bring forth fruit. We just commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving the people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he is kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. 
just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulge in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, they, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them! For they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Jude is not shy, is he? Wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, these, these just aren't those bad homosexual and adulterators. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. What a powerful, Powerful letter. Can, can you imagine this? I want you to think about this on the grace of God. Here is a guy who grew up in the household of Jesus Christ, rejected him, would not connect with him, would not believe in him, was humbled at some point and honest enough to realize I missed it. I was living with him and I missed it. But I'm not going to let that stand in my way. I'm not going to be proud. And he bowed his knee. He bowed his head and he trusted Jesus Christ, his Lord, 
for his salvation. And now he has a letter in the only book that's going to last forever. Isn't that amazing? You really think God can't do something with you folks? Huh? Oh, but you don't know what I've done. No, but I know that you didn't grow up with Jesus as your brother and mock him and deny him. And Jude did. And yet, because he repented, God allowed him the privilege of being part of the Word of God. Amazing. So let's talk about what did Jude say? Well, first of all, he understood who Jesus is. Okay? Let's get this real clear. He starts out, Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Now, now, come on. How many of us here, if, if, if we last night had been somewhere in L.A. and we bumped into uh, Harrison Ford today, you know, would you, hey, you know, you know who I had coffee with last night? <laughs> Can you imagine this guy's boast? If he, this is Jude, the little brother of your Lord. Jesus Christ. As I used to say, H.E. You know, I mean, can you, I mean, you know how we are. We're that proud, you know. So listen, drop a name as quick. Look where he goes immediately. He doesn't even mention that he's related to Jesus Christ at all. He uses the word doulos, which is a slave. And basically, he just, just really nailed it. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ. Wow. Again, this is pretty phenomenal coming out of Judaism. Because Judaism at that day was all about pride. I'm the eighth day of the this, that, of the that, that, and the that, that, that. You know, just because you change, quote unquote, religion, leave Judaism and join churchianity, Okay, doesn't mean that you'll stop bragging about who you connected to. Okay? That only happens when something inside takes place. He understood who Jesus is. He would not even connect himself. Because so he could have done it in a non-bragging way, and it would have been okay. But he knew it wouldn't. See, he, what would be wrong with him saying... This is Jude, who used to not believe in Jesus Christ our Lord, even though he was my brother. But see, he would not even go there. Because he understood, like his brother James, by the way, if you read the epistle, he also does not mention that he is blood-related to Jesus Christ. It's phenomenal. But he goes on and says it's this, and brother of James. Now why did he do that? This is why, I believe, Nathan chapter 1, verse 2. I believe Jude deliberately tied himself to James because he wanted his listeners to understand that I know what I'm talking about. Because folks, we're going to see, we're not going to be able to go through that whole big section 
that I read, okay? We're going to be hitting verses. But the major section is about truth. He talks about God taking people out of Israel, out of Egypt, and then they rebel against him. And he judges them. And Sodom and Gomorrah, and he judges them. And he goes right down the list of all these rebellious, error-filled people who decide they're going to do what they want to do, they're going to believe what they want to believe. And here's a guy who's saying, listen guys, I walked, I slept, I sat across the table and ate breakfast from truth incarnate. And I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. So I really believe that Jude is really trying to help us understand. Look, I know what I'm talking about. You think you've been close to Jesus? You haven't been anywhere near as close as I was. And I still reject it. Wow. Now, let's put this real quick in the shoe leather. Okay? Because if you don't walk it, I'm not asking you if you've rejected Christ, because I doubt anyone here has. I don't know why you'd be here if you had. But what happens when God brings any truth into your life, especially the ones you don't want to hear? Okay? And teenagers, I know it's tough on you because a lot of God's commands come through your parents. Your parents are not God, but they are the stewards. And it's tough when they say, no, you may not go see that movie. No, I've got to see that movie. My life will never be the same if I don't do that. <laughs> Husbands, God convicts you on a truth about what you need to be as a husband or a dad. And it's going to cost you something. How do you deal with that truth? Don't don't throw this off on Jude only. He understood who Jesus is. When you say Lord and God, what does that mean? Is is there any room for argument? Well, I know that you told those guys to go make disciples, but I don't think that really included me. And by the way, let's get rid of the word go. Because too many people think that means they got to go somewhere. And by the way, you can, you can fly to another country, and the moment you get off, that plane, you don't certainly become the Apostle Paul. <laughs> You're the same person you were in Manila that you are here. And vice versa. So I either am becoming Christ-like in America so that when I get to Manila, people want to ask me for the reason of the hope. So, he understood who Jesus is. He's Lord. He goes on, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father. Now again, I need you to get this, because this is difficult. We're removed from this, okay? Uh, In a a slight way. We don't look at Gentiles, quote-unquote, as dogs. Okay, that's how a Judaism Jew believes. Gentiles are unclean, they're not one of us, they're outside of God. See, and Jude grew up in that. But notice the change in his heart. To those who are called, to those, to to, to anyone who's called, to anyone. Well, what does it mean to be called? Well, God has called us all to receive Christ. 
If we receive Christ, we're called. Well, Nate, who chooses who? Does God choose you? Or do you choose Him? What's the answer? Yes. Now the answer is yes. Well, no, wait a minute, Nate. Does God choose you? Or do you choose Him? Yes. <laughs> well, when I get to heaven, will I see three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Or will I see one? Yes. <laughs> well, I don't know how that works. Either do I. You're talking to the wrong guy. He's the only one that gets that, not me. If I can explain that to you, you better get on your face below me. Because I'm God. Man will never fit God. If God were to reveal the Trinity to my mind right now, I'm convinced you'd see my head pop like a watermelon. <laughs> and you all wouldn't feel like eating lunch after that. Would you? <laughs> no. Boom, someone ate them. <laughs> see, what's so great about this, folks, is that Jude understood the oneness. What is the oneness? Anyone. Anyone who trusts in Christ. Do you know that I know a mission organization? And I, I'm painful about this. If, if the person lived in any homosexual lifestyle, ever, they cannot serve as a missionary in that organization. I think that's appalling. Shame on it. We used to treat divorcees like that in this country. You know, that always used to get me, too. I would meet a guy who got divorced, became a believer, got remarried, wanted to be a pastor, and he would be told, no, you cannot be a pastor. And I'd meet a guy who murdered his wife, went to prison, became a Christian, came out, got married, and he could become a pastor. You know what that taught me? What? Don't divorce her, kill her, man. <laughs> and isn't that what it teaches? <laughs> How many sins are covered when you trust Christ? All. Oh, you bet. And see, Jude knew that. He said, to all those that are called beloved in Christ. He didn't say to my Jewish brethren, to my gender. He said, to all. Folks, this is a radical change from a guy coming out of Judaism. So get that. Notice his understanding of possession. And kept for Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to say something here, and I don't want to insult anybody. But you can ask the men from yesterday. I'm not one that usually is afraid to say it bluntly. When you teach that you can lose your salvation, you slap the face of Jesus Christ while he's on the cross. That's what you do. You teach that your works... I mean, one of the greatest teachers I know, and I love him, but as he got older, he finally said, I do believe you can lose your salvation because you can walk out of the hand of God. Folks, do you know how big the hand of God is? According to John 10, you're not even in the hand of God only. It's described, you're in the hand of God the Father and God the Son. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. No one means you too. Do you know what happens to you when you get saved? When you come to know Jesus Christ, you are given a new nature. It's called regeneration. You are indwelt. That means you are made an abiding place, 
of the Holy Spirit of God. He lives in you. You are sealed by Him to the day of redemption, Ephesians 4.30. That means God's put His mark on you until Jesus comes back for you. You are adopted into the family. That is a legal term. God has made you one of His children. So if you can lose your salvation because of some work or sin you did, number one, I want to ask you, how do you get it back? Because if you're saved by grace through faith, but you can lose it by works, how do you get it back? You're going to have to work for it. Number two, you have to undo everything I just mentioned. God has to unadopt you. He has to unseal you. He has to unindwell you. He has to take out your new nature and leave your old nature only again. And check this one out. Check this one out. He then has to go back to before the foundation of the world and rip your name out of the book of the Lamb of Life. See, and you're talking about a guy who came out of religion that did believe very easily you could lose your salvation. Judaism, it was all works. So if you forgot a sacrifice that year, you might end up being lost. Okay? This was not the Judaism that God had given Abraham and David. That was based on salvation by grace through faith that God will send the Lamb of God sometime in the future. And that's why those guys were assured of their salvation. Even David knew it after the sin of Bathsheba. He knew that he was safe in God's hands. He did pay consequences for his sin. That's what we confuse. Just because you've been forgiven doesn't mean you don't pay for consequences. Remember what Pastor Peter says, and he's right. You are free to do anything you want in this world except escape consequences. The only one that can let you escape consequences is God's mercy, which he's done for me many times. I have sinned and he's been kind and I didn't even have to pay the consequences. But sometimes he's made me pay him just to teach me. It wasn't really that good, was it? It looked like chocolate, but it's rat poison. <laughs> That's right. Because sin is pleasurable for a season. But it's the consequences that teach us it's not. Now I want you to think about this. Think about how much change had taken place in Jude's life. That he could say kept. And let me give you this. The word kept is T-E-R-E-O. Okay? It's, it's tereo. The Greek word. Tereo. Okay? And this is what it means. In classical Greek it's used for warden. Warden. How many of you know a warden that... Hey, inmate, yeah. Is there anybody that wants to go out today? A warden doesn't do that, does it? A warden says, you're in prison. What? You're in prison. You're not going anywhere. You're mine. A warden's job is to guard and keep a person from going out. He uses that word of Jesus Christ when it comes to we're kept. What does the word of God say? For you are not your own. That means you don't own you. You, Nate, are you telling me that if I've trusted Christ, I'm going to heaven now whether I like it or not? Yes. That's what I'm telling you. Now, if you really hate the idea of heaven, I would question if you ever really trusted Christ. Okay? Not that God lost something, but that you never had it. Give up? Yeah. Okay. What? <laughs> I've been trying to teach him Tagalog for years. (laughs) 
heard that. Okay. Can you can you understand the guilt that Jude must have felt having rejected his own brother while he was alive? Do you understand the work of grace that's going on in his heart right here? The Holy Spirit has told him. And see, I know some of you, because you're like me. You sin, and right afterwards, when you finally get convicted, it's like you've got to, you know, what have I got to do to earn your love, God? And God isn't that way. And see, Jude knew that. We are kept for Jesus. Why? Because it's all Him, it's not us. He bought us with His blood, He paid the price. So we have no rights. Even And again, you know, people quote Psalm 51 wrong. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. It's not my, it's thy salvation. That's why I like the modern English, because then you don't confuse it. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. It's his. It's not yours. He gives it. And once you receive it, you're no longer your own. You are bought with a price. What a tremendous statement. Now again, I have pe- people say, don't teach this because then people just go and sin all they want. Well, you know what? If someone treats their salvation that way, number one, there's a good chance they're not really in the family. And number two, if they are in the family, they're going to get a shock. They're either going to get chastised super right down here, or when they stand before Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this. We do get judged, folks. We don't go for the white throne judgment. That's for the lost. But believers go before the Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians chapter 3. It talks about the fact that we are giving account. Remember it says, For there is no foundation that can be laid, but that of Jesus Christ. This foundation is salvation. But everybody builds on that foundation. That's the life that you live after salvation. And you will go and give an account to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to walk up to Jesus Christ and look at His scarred feet and have a pile of ashes because everything I did was for me. I mean, you might as well go, that's what I did with the salvation you gave. I don't want that. I'm already scared enough about my own flesh problems. But I'm praying that at least some of my life is going to come through and I'm going to go, I can't believe you did this in my life. See, we're all going to look like Jesus. It says we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Some start now, and they'll have rewards. Some won't get it till they get to Jesus, and they'll have nothing but ashes. They'll go into heaven, says they're saved, but they won't have rewards. What does that mean? I don't know, and I don't plan to find out. I'm not interested in finding out what that means. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you, beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation. I love this. This is I, Jude has been given the understanding by the Holy Spirit that salvation is the leveler of all human beings. What do I mean by that? It doesn't matter how righteous you were. You still got saved the same way I did. Okay, I don't care if they called you Pope Junior. And your life was really that good. You know, good works. Wonderful. But guess what? What? You just got in because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And if I'm a adult, murdering, village pillager, 
pig. I got into heaven the same way you did. If I'm punget and poor, die hurt. Somebody said, what do you mean if? No. Anyway. <laughs> no. If I'm just despicable and ugly and poor and wretched, or I'm talented, I get an Oscar just for walking out of my house. You know, and I'm so good looking that the only thing that excels my good looks is my modesty. You know, you know, and I'm just everything, I'm it. Did you know that both those people got saved the same exact way? Do you, again, remember who's talking here? A guy out of Judaism. That just because you were from a certain tribe elevated you over others. And he says, I wanted to write you about our common salvation. Folks, we all become children of God the same exact way. Which means none of us are all that special. Except to God. But the minute you start thinking, I'm all that. You're going to have to have a hard lesson to teach you some humility. Because God's going to make it clear, you are all that. And you ought to praise God that I didn't let you be all that, because all that goes to hell. Understand the essential of truth. Now, I can't read all this again. I mean, we're talking from verse 3 to verse 19 of 20-something verses. But here's what I do want you to get. He felt, he says it here, the way he puts it is this, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. And then he goes in to describe how bad it is that some people who call themselves believers are behaving. Okay? He starts with, of course, Israel coming out of Egypt. And we get into all these other things going on with Enoch and all that. But what I do want to talk about is this here, where he says, verse 16, These are grumblers finding fault following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining advantage. Now, prior to that, this description that he said, he said, These are the men who are hidden reefs, in your love feast, now they used to have a love feast many times where they'd all have a common meal together, a lot of times a communion. But they'd all get together and they would eat together. And he says, these come into your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. In other words, they're, they're brazen about their sinful attitudes. Okay? They'll just come in with complete confidence and they'll just, they'll just take over your meeting because they just know it all. And yet what they're espousing isn't truth at all. I mean, I get tired of that when people come up to me, I've got a word of knowledge from God. And I'm going, you know, you're going to tell me God wants you to uh, to move to Africa, okay? Gee, that's kind of strange. Cause, you know, I told God I'd go anywhere He wanted, and uh, I don't understand why He, he told you, not me. Because <laughs> He knows I'm willing. I mean, how do I measure that? You know, if somebody comes up to me and says, David, thus saith the Lord, make disciples. Amen, brother. Jesus said that in Matthew. But when 
they said, Nathan, you're not to marry Dee Dee. I have an ugly girl for you. <laughs> right? How am I supposed to make of that? Thou shalt marry an ugly woman. Okay, no. <laughs> Say it. See, see, all this direct revelation that churchianity is doing today with the health, wealth, and prosperity movements, they're unmeasurable. You can't measure it from the Word of God. So how do you test the Spirit? Yet some of them are so... I had a woman, I love her, I know she meant well, but I walked into the house in Maryland, this is uh, three, three and a half, four months ago, and she just walked up and she told me, I need to rebuke the demon of rheumatoid arthritis. And she's just going to pray it over me, and, and I'm going to be cast free. Now, Danny, wouldn't you love it? Of course. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to walk up to Danny and go, Thou gout, come out! You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to do that. <laughs> but guys, in all seriousness, let me tell you something. And I don't want to get too emotional, but I have learned so much about Jesus Christ from some of the pain that I go through. I don't like it. I don't want it. I've asked him. I've been open. I'm taking the chemotherapy that I'm supposed to take, but I've done all the other stuff. I've drank gallons of coconut oil. I, you know, just, you know, just try this, try that, have this stuff, you know, and rub this over your face. And, I'm really willing. But my God had said to me, I got three brothers, not one of them have RA. It's, it's hereditary. So my wife, my mom had four boys. My mom was just riddled with rheumatoid. And one of her boys gets it. Why me? I don't know. I probably deserved it the way I was. But what I'm saying is, if someone is so arrogant that they think, I don't want God to heal me, and that's how I get treated sometimes. Well, you just need to ask God. I never thought of that! <laughs> I'm sure glad you told me. <laughs> so, so here's the thing I want you to get. Because this is real important. You are talking about a guy who grew up, as I said, with truth incarnate in front of him. And he ignored it. He, he mocked it. He didn't want to listen to it. And look at where the majority of his letter is. I want you to earnestly contend for the faith. That doesn't mean you got to judge everybody, okay? Some guy puts out a book and you don't like exactly what it says. You don't have to say he's a heretic when you don't know if he's a heretic. You can just say, oh, I've got problems with the book because of this, this, and this. Okay, that's good. See, here's the thing. The evidence of intimacy, in my view, on understanding that I talked about, is that this is where you draw your line. Okay? Not politics, not popularity, and not fad. Okay? If you think that I don't wish that God would allow every homosexual in the world to come and worship Him as they are and not have to worry about being destroyed in hell, I would be glad if that were the case. Because I, I'm not any better than any of them. I don't feel that I'm superior. But if I'm going to help somebody who's living a homosexual lifestyle or living in adultery or a guy who comes and says, I don't like my wife anymore, but I found a new one and I'm going over. If you want me to say, look, all that God cares is that you're happy. And 
and, and by the way, you, you see that cliff you're about to walk over? Yeah, here, put this big iron anchor on before you take a step. <laughs> and that's how I love you. Because that's what they want us to do. They want me to look at some guy and say, you were born that way. Enjoy yourself because God accepts it. Yeah, you married the wrong woman. I, I, but this is new one. I, 20 years younger, you know. <laughs> and God wants you to be happy. Okay, that, that's the kind of nonsense that's going on in our country. And that's because even men of God have stopped drawing the line here. Here. We have a very famous organization that just decided on their own that they're going to say that Mormonism is no longer a cult because they don't want to offend the guy who's running for president. I think I think Mr. Romney's probably a pretty good guy. I mean, when you read about him, he's got nice morals. I, I know lots of Mormons. They're very nice people. But I'm sorry. The founder of their religion said that God the Father had many children, and two of them, one is named Jesus, and one of them is named Lucifer. Now, you can't go to heaven believing that Jesus Christ, blood brother of Satan, saved you. When you say, but they say Jesus is Christ, what Christ is that? You're going to tell me Allah is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Forget it. That's a political statement by groups that are going, oh, we don't want to offend the Muslims. I'm not trying to offend the Muslims. The gospel offends the Muslims. The gospel offended me. What did I do so bad that I got to be separated from God forever? The gospel said it. Well, you did not live perfect. And if you can't get over that offense and allow Jesus Christ to save you, you will be lost. Why do you think the Bible makes it clear that everyone that doesn't trip over Christ is not going to make it? It offends the human pride that our works aren't good enough. What do you think God was appealing to Cain about? Cain, you know what to do. You know what's right. Be careful, buddy. Sin's at the door. Why? Because you want to come with the works of your hands and say this should be good enough. And by the way, you will never find anywhere in this book where God doesn't say he doesn't appreciate your good works. He likes your good works. They just won't get you relationship with him. That's the only line he draws. He thinks it's great when you do the God, I built this house for you. Well, great. That's cool. But when you say, God, I built this house for you, so therefore I deserve to be your child. No, you don't. So he understood the essential of truth. Let's wrap this up. But beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Danny, this is our verse, brother. Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you one thing. As much as I hate RA, if rapture happens today, my experience is going to be much better than you who are healthy. <laughs> okay, you go through days without anything. I haven't gone through a day in the last six months without anything. And man, when rapture hits, it's going to be, wow, yeah! I'm going to have hair again. <laughs> On top of my head, not in the middle of my back. Okay. <laughs> Understand our hope. See, here's Jude, and he's, he's making it clear. Look, guys, 
I know it's a tough battle. I've told you to stand firm, but understand why it's important. Because we have a hope. Our hope... Now listen, folks. It's combined, but you've got to make sure which one's the heavier weight. Our hope is to get out of this. Yeah. But more importantly, our hope is to be with Him. Okay? I don't want to be with Him and to get at this. Sometimes I feel that way. Do you understand that? Sometimes I hate my own failures and sin and the things I go through that I just can't wait that I don't wrestle with that anymore. But I've got to put everything in perspective and say, wait a minute. I don't want to be backing into heaven just to escape hell. I want to be running into heaven after Jesus. It's a whole different lifestyle. Then he goes on. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Why is this important? What did Judaism do to people who did the wrong thing? They gave them a rock breakfast, right? It's called stoning. Wouldn't you agree that Judaism was pretty harsh? Okay, this guy came out of that. Notice what he's saying. Understand mercy of restoration and have mercy on some who are doubting. Pastor Danny, I've been doubting my faith in Christ. Get away from me! Right? He wouldn't do that. That's what I'm saying. We do that, though. Our friends come and tell us a problem. They're struggling with God and we say, take two verses and call me tomorrow. Right? My house burned down and my spouse died. That's too bad. But all things work together for good. (laughs) Now that doesn't mean that verse is wrong. You know what's wrong? Timing. You need to climb in the casket with them first. Cry a little bit. You need to say, oh, your house burned down. You lost your spouse. And then as God takes you through that sustaining period and you try to help them, then at some point the Holy Spirit will help you say, I know you feel like quick, but you've got to remember that God is in control. So he understands that. Jesus emphasized mercy, folks. He emphasized, you know, he never yelled at anybody except the religious people. He never yelled at the whores, the tax collectors. Never. He tried to love them. He didn't condone them. He didn't say it's okay. He said, go sin no more. Save others, snatching them out of fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. He understands love. You know what real love is? It's evangelism. Did you know that? If you don't care about people's eternity, if all you want to do is help set up a a building down the street that feeds homeless so they don't go hungry, but you don't share the gospel with them. I'm not saying you say, okay, you got to listen to my spiel, and then you get the soup. I'm saying, come on in, but while you're eating, we're going to talk to you about Jesus. You can listen or not. I'm not saying that it isn't important that you don't set up a clinic that helps alcoholics stop being alcoholics. But if all you do is get them to quit booze and do nothing else, you send another sober man to hell. There's too many of them already. So what I'm talking about is always, at the end of the day, I love what, what CCF and Manila, folks, the, the Andoy situation, when it hit Manila, it changed the nature of CCF. It's so exciting to see. This last year when we had floods again, nobody had to call for anything. 
it just started happening. People in all the CCFs went out and got everything they could to give food. And they gave it, letting people know, we're doing this because Jesus Christ wants us to love you. Last one. And now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now forever. Amen. He understood praise. Now let me just close with this to let you think this through. Domitian um, was ruling and there were some questions asked concerning Christ and his kingdom of Jude's children. Now, grandchildren. Okay, now I want you to follow this. We don't know how Jude died. He just disappears after this epistle. But what we do know is that he had children who had grandchildren. And when Emperor Domitian had Jude's grandchildren brought before him for heresy, okay, and they were threatened to be put to death, he asked them about the kingdom of Christ that they were preaching. And this is what they said. They answered that it was not a temporal nor an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly and angelic one. Now, they could have stopped there. You'd be safe. Period. Oh, they're talking about a spiritual kingdom. But they went on. Which would appear at the end of the world when he, Christ, should come in glory to judge the quick and the dead and to give unto everyone according to his works. That includes Domitian, folks. You know what they're saying? They're saying, we're not preaching about kingdom on earth. We're preaching about kingdom of heaven coming to earth. And the kingdom of heaven is going to judge everybody on earth. And what Domitian did was he said, oh, you're a bunch of ignorant fools. Get out of here. And they went and they worked in the church until they were martyred under Trajan. So I, I just want you to get something before I show you the last slide. Here's a guy who grew up denying the truth that was before him. So radically came to know that truth, changed every a bit of his understanding of life. And I don't know what he ended up doing at the end of his life. I'm sure it was great, but one thing I do know, his life was so powerful that even his grandchildren stood up to an emperor and told him the whole truth, not part of it. They didn't just say, oh, no, we're not preaching a kingdom against Caesar. They said, no, this kingdom we're talking about, it comes from heaven. But the king of that kingdom is going to judge everybody. What a, what a testimony. Devon? What a testimony. So as I get ready to close, I'm leaving you with two study questions today as you wake up in your groups. What does it mean that God is infinite? I want you to ponder that. What does it mean that He's infinite? When was the last time you understood something new or deeper about Him? See, folks, it's not good enough to get close to God and just stay there and never get even closer. You want it to be constantly, what did I learn this month that I didn't know last month? Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for Jude. What a life. What a guy. I want to thank you for the folks here today. I spoke way too long. But I appreciate their attention. Just ask that you will continue to help us see this wonderful man as an example 
of what it means to live Christ life. <coughs> Holy Spirit of God, as I get ready to step down, we'll just give you some seconds to search our hearts before whoever's going to close the service closes. We just pray right now. Would you search our hearts? Are we just close to Jesus? Are we intimate with Him? Spirit of God, speak to us just now. Amen.